Today, today's passage is from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 to chapter 5, verse 2. The Spirit clearly says that in the later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirit and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars, whose conscience has been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain food, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who knows the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truth of the faith and of the good teachings that you are, have followed. Have nothing to do with the godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness had value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and life to the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially for of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because, of you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in, pur in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scriptures, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which is given you through prophecy when the body of elders lay their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrines closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your he he hearers. Do not rebuke an older man harshly but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ernest. And if you have a Bible, please take it out and turn to First Timothy chapter 4. Um, you can take out your um, electronic devices to turn there, um, but let's do look, look at this passage together. But before, as we do that, let's pray that God will speak to us this morning. Lord, we thank you that you have created the heavens and the earth by your word, that you, create, you have created the church by your word, that you sustain us with your word. And we pray that now your word will go out and nourish us, nourish us with the truth that we have received and that help us to see that truth, that we might live by it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Have you ever wondered, what does he do all week long? I mean, you see me on Sunday, I preach, and you imagine there's something. I mean, the preaching doesn't take some time, but for the rest of the week, what does he do um, all week? Have you asked that question? I mean, I actually get asked this question surprisingly a lot. <laughs> um, and my pet answer to this question is, well, I divide my time in thirds. I do sort of one-third admin, uh, answering emails, planning events, organizing people to do these, these different events, one-third admin. And one-third people. I meet with people, people who want to meet with me for different reasons. Uh, people, I often reach out to people and ask them to meet with me because I want to know what's going on in their life and I want to encourage them in their walk with Christ. A third of the time is meeting people. And a third, the, the last third I divide, um, is to spend time in prayer, in reading the Bible, and in writing the sermons and planning the teaching series um, in the church. So about a third, third, third. In that way. But um, that's my pat answer to this question. Uh, but the biblical answer to what a pastor should be doing is found in our reading today, 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy is a letter written from Paul to the young pastor Timothy to instruct him. But then it wasn't just for Timothy, it was actually for the whole church to listen as well. Because if you think about it, it's kind of like uh, preaching at a wedding. You know, when I preach at a wedding, the couple is right there, right in the middle, and I'm preaching to them, but not just to them, because I know that the whole congregation is listening. It's to renew their marriage and their vows um, there as well, to instruct them about what marriage is. And it's a bit like that here as well. Paul is writing to Timothy, but he knows that this letter will be read in front of the whole church for the whole church, because the whole church needs to listen to this message, not just Timothy. The whole church needs to know what a pastor should be doing, what their pastor should be doing, what, how they should be leading the church. It is for all of us. And if we look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, well, I think we can divide into, uh, the, the section into these three things. Refute false teaching. And to model godly living. And then to continue, persevere in the works of preaching and shepherding for the church. Well, two weeks ago, we saw in chapter 3 the uh, instruction for um, uh, the, the requirements for an elder. And it was mostly about character, uh, what they're supposed to be like. But it doesn't mean that Paul didn't think that what we taught and what we learn was not important. Of course, they're very important. In fact, take a look at verse 1. He calls false teaching demonic. Demonic. Um, he goes on to write, the spirit, the spirit clearly says that in the later time, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Deceiving spirits do not work directly. Like God, actually, they work through medium pe people like us. And so he goes on to say, well, they, they work through these hypocritical liars, he says. Well, he already talked in chapter 1 about myths and genealogies, but these false teachers' error didn't stay there. Uh, their group also forbade people, as we see in verse 3, from marrying. They taught that marriage was bad. They taught that we should abstain from certain foods. 
Now, this wasn't entirely new. Uh, Jewish tradition had a set of sort of practice of asceticism, denying the bodily things. I mean, if you go to Essenes, the Qumran community, the, uh, you might have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, the, these Essenes wrote and are preserved in these little caves. Well, they also practiced or they advocated celibacy as the ideal. Uh, Church father Tertullian in the second century saw that actually marriage was not something to be recommended. Sex in marriage, he thought, was actually not good. Uh, Church has a long history of asceticism as well. You might have heard of this guy, Uh, Simeon Stalite. Come on. Simeon Stalite, who lived 37 years on top of a pole. His aim was to just do away with the world, do away with this physical body and think about the spiritual things, to set his mind in the heavenly things. And that's how he lived for 37 years. Now, you might not be tempted to climb on top of a pole, but actually that temptation still is in us. Temptation to think that real spirituality is removing ourselves from the world, from our desires, from this bodily being, and think and only think about the spiritual things. Focus on the spiritual things. We think that spiritual maturity is found in denial of our bodily desires and in denial of the world out there. Now, of course, we should at times spend time fasting and prayer, in prayer, to think about the spiritual realities. But the aim is not to remove ourselves from the world. The aim is to come back and see this world more clearly, to see ourselves more clearly, to bring heaven, these spiritual, down, uh, spiritual realities, down to how we live, to these mundane realities. Because at the very end of the Bible, what happens? We do not escape from this world to heaven. What happens? Heaven comes down to earth. The heaven merges with this world. Because the world, as God has created it, is good. It should be saturated with his presence. And at the end of the world, the Spirit will fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. And that's what we are to do, to bring heaven down to earth, to see the goodness in this world, to renew the things of the world, not to escape from them. So Christians read scripture to bring that heaven and meditate on them, bring that, to bring that heaven down to earth. Because everything, as we see in verse 4, that God created is good. He goes on to say, well, marriage, that God created marriage, and it is good. God created food, that is good. The things that we create with the God-given ability, well, they are good as well, and we are to enjoy them. There is something spiritual. I mean, there, it is spiritual to, to, to think that things of this, to, to enjoy the things of this world that God has created. That's a spiritual thing. That is a good thing. So we should thank God for food that we eat. We should thank God for marriage. We should thank God for a good book, a good wine, good meal with friends, good conversations as we see God giving us these good things. For God, as God created them, they are good. So we thank God for them. We thank God who is present in these mundane realities all around the world. Yes, sin does taint them. Sin does taint everything in this world. 
but to deny that they are still good, that to deny that there is goodness in them, well, that's abandoning our faith. And it's an insult to God who created these things. So what is the job of a pastor? Well, it's to point these theological errors, to point these things out to brothers and sisters in the church. Because what is the first step of being cultivating a healthy body? What's the diet? To prepare good food. And the pastor is to nourish the church by putting forth truths of the faith and good teaching and cut out the junk food and the bad food um, from their diet. When Hugh Jackman was training to be Wolverine, this was apparently his diet. Breakfast, nine slices of chopped ham, eight uh, extra large eggs, uh, meal two, four patties of ground turkey, meal three, six ounces of walnut, meal four, eight tablespoons of jam and preserve, uh, four slices of whole wheat bread, meal five, two cans of tuna, two ounces of walnut, vegetables, one cup of broccoli, two cups of cherry tomatoes. What you don't see in his diet to have a body like this is a large pieces of pizza and potato chips and fizzy drinks, right? You don't get there by, by doing that. In order for us, for the church, to live a godly life, for us as a church to be healthy, we need to feast on good food. We need to cut out the spiritual junk food, the false, the cut out false teaching. Well, these days, false teaching might come from all sorts of other forms. It might take all uh, sorts of other forms, like Christian nationalism, um, prosperity gospel teachers, uh, those who ignored God's design for sex, or those who say that gospel is nothing to do about sin, but it's all about social justice. Friends, I hope you will come to church with your Bibles open to check to see if we're feasting on the faith that God has given us and not other people's teachings, the errors that have seeped into the church. I hope you will come to refute bad teaching, to cut out junk food from our diet. And again, this isn't just something for the pastors, is it? Uh, We need to do that rightly. We need to devote ourselves to right doctrine and watch our lives closely. But at the same time, it's also for the church leaders. It's for our small group leaders because you should be able to recognize uh, what good food is and what bad food is. If you're a parent, you need to feed your children right food. You need to be able to tell them what good teaching is. If we are to speak God's truth to one another, we need to also find out what good food is and what bad food is. So we need to do this together to refute false teaching from the church. And secondly, Paul then goes on to tell us to model. Uh, to, uh, he tells Timothy to model godly living. He says in verse 7, Have nothing to do with the godless myths and old wives' tale. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. First, what does godliness produce? Hope for this present life and for the future to come. 
What does it produce in this present life? I think a life that is abundant, life that's abundant, life that is worth living. And Jesus put it this way in John 10, the thief only comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come. I have, to, I have come so that they may have life and life abundant. Life that is abundant. False teaching leads to an empty and meaningless life at its best. At its worst, a barren and completely destroyed life. Well, godliness, following Jesus, that life leads to a life that's full of its potential. Life to its max, as somebody has put it. It leads to freedom from sin. It leads to life of wisdom, knowing how to live and navigate in this life and, and see God's will being realized in our life, in our family, in our workplaces, in our relationships um, with others. It leads to life uh, full of God's presence in every single way. But we don't just get there without any effort. We need to train ourselves, Paul says, to be godly. And here in verse 7, train ourselves. It's a, it's a, it's a word that's, that smells of sweat. It's, it's a Greek word that uses the word gym, gymnasio. It's to train ourselves. It's, it's to exercise, literally, exercise yourself onto godliness. That's what he says. How? Well, spiritual disciplines. Spiritual discipline of God, spending time with God, praying to God, uh, meditating on God's word day and night. I mean, we see this once again um, all throughout the Bible, don't we? Examples of people doing this. Moses sought God and he saw God face to face. David went to God and found God to be his strength. Apostle Paul, when he was beaten down and struck down and this thorn on his side was bothering him, he spent time with God and he heard Jesus say, my grace is sufficient for you. We see these examples of faith, spending time with God. And of course, we see Jesus doing this as well. When he was tempted in the desert, you know, everything he said to, the Satan, to Satan, to the devil, is quote, quotations from Scripture. Well, how did he get there? Well, he was memorizing it. He was meditating on it day and night. And we often say, actually, that Jesus never turned people away. That's not true. There are times when he turns a whole crowd away so that he could spend time with God. You know, if you think about the cross, and, and how did he go to the cross with such calmness, uh, with such strength? Well, do you remember what he did the night before? He spent the whole night praying. While his disciples were falling asleep, he prayed. He connected with God so that he could go to the cross with that calmness, with that strength that God has given him. Train yourself to be godly. Church, I hope you hear these words, and I hope that God's word is acting in you. And if there is a desire to act on it, I hope you will act on it. Someone said, watch your thoughts. They become your words. Watch your words. They become your actions. Watch your actions. They become your habits. Watch your habits. They become your character. Watch your character because they become your destiny. Let these words lead to action. Habits, character, in a way that will hold promise for this life and the life to come. And may I recommend a few books? There are... Um, these books in the bookstall, uh, 
enjoying God is a great start on spiritual discipline. Spiritual discipline for the Christian life. We're, we've run out of copies um, in the bookstall. Uh, disciplines of godly women and men, um, they are in the bookstall as well. They're worth uh, a read. Reading the Bible, praying, fasting, journaling, practicing solitude, all these individual disciplines are definitely worth practicing. And not only that, what you have have done today, that's good. The corporate discipline of coming and worshiping together, corporate discipline of meeting other people, praying together, corporate discipline of giving and praising, confessing, these are all disciplines that are commended in the Scripture. They will enrich your life now and for the life to come. Friends, this is a trusty, worthy saying that deserves full acceptance. I was talking to someone just says this past week, um, and she bought two copies of a book that I recommended. I asked her who this uh, other friend uh, was. She bought it for a friend. I asked her uh, who this friend was. And she said, well, you know, f- five or six years ago she became a Christian. And her friend immediately recognized that there was a difference in her. And she became curious and started to ask her uh, what Christianity is all about. And I think it was last year she became a Christian and was baptized um, as well. But friends, this doesn't have to be just a one-time event. What if all of us started to train ourselves onto godliness, exercise ourselves onto godliness, and people could see that the Christian life isn't just this, this uh, plateau? What if people could see that we are becoming more and more Christ-like? That will hold promise for us in this present life and for the life to come. People will want to know about this life that we are living the Christian leaders are to persevere in their works so that we can point others to this hope that we have in Jesus. And now we go to the first, um, third section. Uh, and he says, this is why we labor and strive, because we have this hope in this living God. This is why we teach and refute uh, false doctrine. This is why we train ourselves to be godly. But then that last part is slightly uh, difficult. <laughs> who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe? That last bit is difficult to understand. What does it mean that he's the savior of all people, especially of those who believe? I don't think that this means that Paul was a universalist, somebody who believed that everybody was saved, uh, because that would go against the rest of his writing. That would go against the rest of the Bible. There are lots of debate about this, but I think the best way to understand this Greek word, especially here, is to uh, mean to be precise, or in other words. So it might read, hope in the living God, who, who is the Savior of all people, to be precise, those who, be, who believe. Well, what are the works that he says that we should labor and strive for? Once again, he said some of these things already, command them to teach these things, command and teach these things, and be a godly example. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Uh, But set an example. Age matters, of course, but age isn't everything. Young people among us can set an example of a faithful and virtuous life. But here, what stands out as the work of a pastor is this third thing that he says, devote yourself to public reading of the scripture, to preaching and teaching, and not to neglect 
this gift. Be diligent in them. And in verse 15, be immersed in them. Be, be in them, he says. Why is preaching one of the main things that we do on Sundays as we gather? Well, it's because this is how God has sustained his church throughout the ages. We go back, for example, in Nehemiah chapter 8, when God's people return from the exile and they build the temple. This is what Ezra takes out. Ezra takes out the Pentateuch, and he starts reading. Ezra 8, he read it aloud from daybreak till noon in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. And people come to repentance. There's a renewal uh, uh, in, in, in Jerusalem. And this practice of reading the Bible and explaining, well, that was a practice of the Jewish synagogues. Uh, they, they had this practice of reading the, the, the Scripture or the Old Testament and somebody then explaining it, preaching from it. And so it was quite um, uh, easy practice for the Christian uh, Christians to adapt the same practice, to read the Bible and to preach from it. What is remarkable, though, is in the New Testament, Paul instructs his letters to be read in the same place as the Old Testament letters, I mean, Old Testament writings. We see this, for example, in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 27. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. See also Colossians chapter 4 and 6. In the New Testament, church, they read the Old Testament as well as these letters because they recognized the apostolic authority, God's word speaking to them, becoming the rule of living amongst New Testament churches as well. And by the second century, here's a, a guy named Justin the Martyr, because he was martyred. He describes the practice of the church by early second century. On the day called Sunday, the memories of the apostles and the writings of the prophets are read. As long as the time permits, then, when the reader has finished, the president speaks, instructing and exhorting the people to imitate these good things. You see, in the New Testament, they recognize the writings, the authority of the Old and the New Testament. And preaching then drew out application points and instruction points and exhortations from these writings. Timothy and other pastors are to devote themselves to public reading of Scripture, preaching and teaching them. And I hope that is one of the main reasons why you have come to church, to hear God's word preached faithfully, applied faithfully to your life. And that's how the church ultimately will stay the course. If she hears God's word regularly, that is how the church will continue to grow in godliness fit for to be the uh, fit for her groom jesus christ and that's how the church will persevere and endure in the faith that we have inherited and that's how we will save ourselves and others and church i want to say i am thankful for all of you i've never i came to shatin church as, as its pastor at age 31 and i've never felt looked down on because of my youth you have allowed me 
to devote uh, myself into this work of preaching and teaching ministry and shepherding ministry to the best of my ability. I hope um, that you, uh, I have lots of faults, but I hope you have seen some progress, some progress in my character, some progress in my um, teaching. And I hope I'll continue to grow and persevere. And in 2021, last year, Barna, which is a Christian polling organization, released a survey that found 38% of U.S. pastors thought seriously about quitting. It was a tough year for many people, and ministry is tough for many different reasons. And I often hear of pastors wanting to quit, wanting to um, uh, uh, walk away. I even hear of pastors losing their faith. My job is a real joy and a privilege, but it is, sometimes uh, it does feel tough. So, uh, would you pray for me? And let's encourage each other. Encourage each other to persevere, to train ourselves unto godliness. Not train ourselves, not for a quick sprint, but for a lifetime. Lifetime of running this race so that both you and I will persevere, continuing to be nourished by the truth of God's word, that we would continue to grow in holiness that, would, would, that shows the promise for this life and for the life to come, to hold on to faith until Jesus comes back or he calls us home. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that it is, that the church is your church. The church is your bride for whom your son bled and died. And we thank you that by your spirit, you are keeping the church holy. You're making us more like your son, Jesus, to be fit for that wedding day. But Lord, help us as a church to continue to watch our life and doctrine closely, to continue to enjoy the fullness of life that you have promised for this life and for the life to come, that we might persevere in them, that we might share this hope that we have with others. Lord, we cannot do it by ourselves. Fill us with your spirit. Help the leaders of this church. Help all of us to continue and persevere. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.